Our Father, we thank you this morning for what I perceive to be just a glimpse into glory. I thank you for the words of our foreparents who said they wouldn't serve a God that they couldn't feel sometimes. I want to thank you for just letting us experience your feeling this morning. And in that feeling, Lord, we recognize the humanity of that, and we want to pray for our sister Tamara this morning. Many of us in this building have heard that news, and we've walked that journey. We know that her heart may be heavy this morning, and we pray that you would undergird her and overshadow her, that you'd give her strength in this time of bereavement. And we thank you for joining her to this fellowship. She's a part of our family. She's our sister. And we thank you for this chance to pray with her as she serves so faithfully with us. And God, that may her father have made his peace with you that he sleeps in eternity with you. And now, God, we pray that the strength of her mother, his wife, that you would keep her and allow her to see that there's a resting place for her as well. So we lift up our sister and pray your strength, your power, your perseverance be in her. And that she knows that we are here praying with and for her. We'll give you the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In your bulletin there is the stated text and outline for the sermon this morning, but I'm going to change it. I want to go to the same book, Ephesians chapter 1, but I just want to deal with verse 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Initially, I wanted to travel down the road of verses 1 through 7 and just unfold what I believe to be some of the gems that Paul conveys in the text for us about who we are as believers in Christ. But I was reading the text just now, and, and I realized I really have to give you an introduction to this book because we're going to be in here for a while. 
and uh, we're going to go through all six chapters and I'm not sure if I would do you justice by not sharing with you some critical introductory information to understand why this book is so valuable to us. So let me begin by saying that here it is, a letter in which has been regarded by many scholars as perhaps one of the most successful evangelistic campaigns in the first century that one had ever witnessed. In the region of Asian Minor, there was this small geographical space that was known for its commercial and political and economic um, as well as its personal indulgences to which it had a very fine reputation of executing. Ephesus was an interesting town. It might remind us of a city like Washington, D.C., where much power and much political and economic force runs the town, the personalities, the power into which it exercised. It was known as one of the seven wonders of the world at the time in which it ranked alongside the magnificent structures of Rome and Babylon, some of the ancient cities of the time. But it did have a nemesis. It had a bit of a krypton existing within its context. There was a space in its religiosity that many came to worship and to celebrate. Among the temples was the temple to Diana, the Roman name which is the same as that of Artemis, the Greek name, somebody's alarm is going off. And uh, that sounds like a church alarm. It is. The temple was an interesting place of worship because it wasn't an ordinary space of worship to God. It was a worship to the body. Sexuality ran rampant in its sanctuaries. Personal indulgences of both male and female prostitution was rampant. It had an indulgence that was overwhelming in the practice of witchcraft and magic. And it's this context that Paul, on his second missionary journey in Acts 18, pays a visit. Accompanying him is two fellow Christians, Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team. Stays there for a brief while and then Paul leaves, but he leaves behind these two persons, what is believed to be the architects of the development of that church. Priscilla and Aquila is believed to begin to plant the seeds and grow this church to where Paul comes back, Acts 19, and spends three years there, and he's preaching the gospel of Christ to this town, and that gospel is posing a threat to those who are behind the execution of magic, to those who are power brokers in the realm of commerce 
and political and religious construct. They are livid with Paul's preaching because it's changing lives. And whenever one brings truth and that truth begins to transform a person's life, that person or that system that was accustomed and desired to keep that person suppressed becomes agitated. And they become agitated because they recognize that if there is ever the chance to which that chain to which they placed around that person's life can be broken, it appears now that the preaching of the gospel is breaking that chain. We hear that statement now that the gospel, the gospel has the power to break the yoke. But that doesn't really happen unless one believes that that yoke can be broken. And Paul is in this context in which he's preaching and he is breaking some yokes. But Acts 28 tells us that Paul eventually spends two terms incarcerated. The first term is believed to have been the origin of what we call these prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, and Philemon. He writes them while he's in prison because there is some word that comes to him in reference that he needs to send back words of encouragement. And so what does Paul do? He gets together with his own mind and spirit and he writes a letter, but amazingly, it's not three different letters. And I'll separate Philemon from this group temporarily because there's something different. I have to tell you about that later. But he doesn't write three different letters. He writes one letter. When he writes to the Ephesians, there's no specific problem, nothing that he highlights that's wrong with the church. No drama, no issues. No gossiping, no backbiting, no nothing. He writes a letter that we call a circulatory letter. It's a letter written to everybody. It's to be circulated to all three churches. And whenever you get that letter, your job is to put your name at the beginning where the salutation is. And I want you to think about this. When you look at this text and look at how Paul writes this, you can almost see it coming to life. If you look at the second clause in verse 1, chapter 1, you can hear it. When Paul writes, and whenever they get the letter, it says, to the saints who are at Ephesus. As it moves to Galassi, what would it say? To the saints who are at Galassi. As it moves to Philippi, to the saints who are at Philippi. As it moves to 2020, to the saints who are in Burke, Virginia at Zion Baptist Church. It's a circulatory letter in which Paul is trying to make clear, I'm not identifying a problem because right now it's not a problem that I'm trying to attract. I want you to recognize how grateful you ought to be that you've been saved by grace. If you take a moment and read the letter when you get home, you'll, you'll see that there is nothing in this letter about the folks celebrating what they receive in terms of materialism. 
Nothing even about how God has fought their enemy on their behalf. Nothing about what God is going to provide for you. Nothing of the sort. In fact, when Paul writes this thing, he writes this letter by saying that I'm not writing to contest an issue, but I'm writing to encourage the whole body of Christ that you need to work at growing, glowing, giving, and going. Oh, you, you'll see it. You'll see as we get through this letter. It's right here. He says, also, I'm writing you because I want you to celebrate your salvation by understanding your position in Christ. So what throws people off of this letter if they try to go verse by verse is Paul is dealing with doctrine. He's dealing with what underscores your conviction and why you ought to be so glad that you're saved by grace. He's helping us to realize that I want you to see what your position is in Christ and then I want you to see what your progression should be in Christ. It's about salvation. In fact, the key verse to the whole letter is chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God performed beforehand that we should walk in them. The second key verse is, is found in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, all gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance one to another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says, I'm not talking about what you've been praying about. I'm talking about your salvation. And what I hope is that when you leave this morning, ringing in your mind would be the phrase, I'm so glad I'm saved. So glad that I'm saved. In chapter 1 through 3, he talks about our position. In chapters 4 through 6, he talks about our practice, position, who I am in Christ, and my practice, the progression I should be made while I am walking in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3, there are no imperatives, no demands, nothing in regard to what I need to do in Christ. Because Paul's focus is totally upon the divine gifts that God has given to the believer and their position as a result of being in Christ. However, in chapter 4 through 6, there are some 35 directives that Paul gives us because his focus is upon the believer's responsibility to grow and progress and be responsible in our behavior. And yet... In chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, Paul talks about salvation. 
and he says your deliverance from the past and your deliverance in the present and your deliverance in the future should be enough alone to cause you to celebrate who you are in Christ. And Paul really inadvertently lists the question to us this morning, can we celebrate and shout on just who I am in Christ and not just what I can get from Christ? And Paul have not talked about a position yet, but in this greeting, in this greeting, in these first two verses, he tells us why we ought to shout because we pray. We're saved by God's grace. First, I'm so glad I'm saved and I hope you are because I am a representative of God. Look at the first line. Paul and Paul is his Jewish name. His Hebrew name would be Saul. In fact, his father is a Jew and yet he has Roman citizenship. And Jewish parents would have given their children two different names for the purpose of both heritage and culture. And so he uses his different name of Paul because his life has changed. God Almighty. So they called him Saul, but he was named after Saul of the Old Testament. But he remembers the history of Saul and Saul's journey didn't end very well. And so Paul, when he begins his life and begins his progression as a religious figure, you remember he started out as a prosecutor and persecutor of the church. His reputation was not well, but he enjoyed his reputation. But when God saved him on the Damascus road, he changed his name to Saul, to Paul. And now that he's Paul, in fact, if you read his Corinthian letter, he calls himself the chief sinner of all. And then he says, I'm the least of all that God would save my soul. Now, what Paul is trying to tell us is if you think about what they called you before you got saved and now what they're calling you after you got saved, there ought to be some joy in your life that you say, I'm so glad I saved because what I used to be and where I used to go and what I used to do, I don't do no more, but I've got a new life now and I'm happy that my new name causes me to celebrate that I'm saved by grace. And Paul says, I am an apostle. It's the Greek word apostolos. It simply means this, a messenger sent as a representative on behalf of somebody else. Now you remember Matthew 5, Jesus told us that we are his messengers by way of metaphor. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world and nobody who's got light is placed under a bushel but is hung up on top of the hill so that everybody could see it. In other words, Jesus was saying, you're going to be my representatives everywhere that you go. Here we are, back to the theme. So I want you to go 
And I want you to glow. I want you to show your light because you are no longer living in darkness. But you now live in the light. So y'all can't shout on that. That's what you ought to shout about. Because if you think about this, if God had not sent Jesus to save you, then you would be eternally destined to be separated from God. But I'm so glad that the Father cared so much about me that he remembered me on that Friday at Calvary and now my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that's what I have to shout about. But you can't shout on that, see? We're not talking about you getting a new car or a new house. We're not talking about your bank account growing, but if you think about this, whether you have a bank account or a new car or a new house or not, it will not replace the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. The power that you get from being a part of who he is, the joy and the glory that he brings to your life. I tell you what, if you don't think your salvation is important, just think about, rewind the tape when you were sick on your bed of affliction and here comes the divine healing that reorchestrated your sickness and brought healing to your life and today you are alive and well because you have been saved by grace and washed in his blood Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 that because he saved us we now have the ministry of reconciliation. That means that now because God has reconciled my life back to him through his son, I have the commissioned, the calling to go and point someone to the cross where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. Because I'm saved and I'm so glad I'm saved. So glad that my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And Paul said you ought to be shouting this morning because you are a representative of the God who saved your soul. Think about it for a moment. The God who gave us the ministry of reconciliation to represent him everywhere that we go to demonstrate this caring love that rescued us no matter what the condition was. You think about this for a moment. What if God categorizes where his redemption goes? What if God says, well, your sin is too great. You have a lot more work to do, so I'm not going to save you yet. Or what if God says, your stuff is so far out there that I don't even know if redemption can help you. I'm sorry, you're lost. But instead, he calls us in saving us to commission us to carry along with us the line of that great hymn. Good God Almighty, this is worth shouting about all by itself. It reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. You ought to be shouting about that. That blood that gives me my strength from day 
it'll never, 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 never lose its power. God of mine, that's worth shouting about right there. It gives me strength from day to day. It don't just show up on Monday. Don't just show up on Tuesday. Don't just hang out on Wednesday. Don't say hello on Thursday. Don't stop by on Friday. Hit your own Saturday and let you know every day from day to day. That's enough to make you shout and to say, Lord, I'm so glad that I'm saved this morning. We are representatives. Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm so glad he didn't say I'm an apostle of Jim Jones. I'm not an apostle of Daddy Grace, Reverend Ike, T.D. Jakes, James Murphy, but I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. See, all those names die. They have a lifespan. They're finite. But he talked about himself. He talked about Jesus, the God who is infinite in his perspective. He says, you ought to shout and be glad you're saved because you are a representative of God. But watch this. He says, you ought to be shouting also because you've been regenerated by God. Look what he says. He says, not only by the will of God and my apostle, but to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Let me help you out a little bit. The word saints comes from the Greek word hagios, which means to those who have been set apart. It has reference to the word of sanctification. It means that God saved me that he might set me apart from the rest. That's why Paul would later write to the Corinthians, be not of the world, but you're going to be in the world, but you can't act like the world. God Almighty. He's trying to tell us God set you aside in your salvation. That should make you walk differently and act differently because the name that's attached to who you are not only saved you, but changed you. Oh, see right there, you should have shouted. We were, we were, we were. We were at a fellowship last night and just talking with some of the guys. We were talking about where we used to be and what we used to do and how it was growing up. And I got to thinking as I started telling them, I had to slow myself down. Whoa, don't tell them too much now. You be done told too much of who you used to be. And then I got to thinking, I put in this part, man, I'm so glad that I'm saved because I thought about what I used to do and why I did it. And every now and then, you got to think about, man, I am so glad that God changed my life from who I used to be. There was a time when I would do X, Y, Z, but now I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. All things are passing away. And behold, all things are becoming new. I'm glad that I'm saved because somebody invested in me. And God did that. In the person of Jesus. He calls me a saint. 
I'm set aside. But he also calls me the faithful. See where it says? Who are faithful in Christ Jesus. It comes from the Greek word pistos, from which we get the word faith. But it's deeper than just merely believing in God. Watch this now. Because I believe in the pews that you're sitting in. You believe more than I did because you're sitting in the pew. You know what that means? I not only believe that the pew would hold me. Watch this now because I'm about to shout out my shoe. I entrusted my body to the pew that it would keep me safe as long as I am here in this sanctuary. Oh my God, you didn't see it. You didn't catch it. Watch this. I not only have faith in God, but I have entrusted my life to God so that while I'm in his hands, he's going to keep me and take care of me and grow me in the process. And Paul says, you are the faithful who didn't just talk the talk, but you're walking the walk. And you gave your life to Christ. And as a result, you gave it to him and you've entrusted to him. And now every day God gives you what you need because you entrusted your life to him. And in entrusting, he regenerates you. Here's what you ought to be shouting about. God gives you all of the strength that you need. You ever get to start out in the morning and get about noontime and think you ain't going to make it to the end of the day? You are exhausted just from work alone. We ain't talking about people. We just talking about the work alone. And God gives you strength. And then some of us got to have patience. Some of us have contexts and situations where we have to look up in the heaven and say, Lord, you know I need more patience right about right now. I need a baptism in patience. And God gives it to you. God gives you wisdom. Sometimes you want to say certain things in certain situations, you know that ain't going to be to the glory of God. But because he changed your life. Now, if that situation had caught you in your old life, Might be kind of hard to do nowadays because they got ways to detect what's in your pocket. But in my old life, I'd have showed up with my straight razor in my pocket and we may would have had a problem. But wisdom. Wisdom now tells me, let God handle that thing. Wisdom now tells me, weeping might endure for the night. But joy is coming in the morning. God gives me what I need to survive every day because he's regenerating me. And by regenerating me, he's trying to let me know, see, I'm trying to grow you. And in that regeneration, sometimes God places us in context that forces us to have to grow. Because if you don't grow, you become frustrated that you're not growing. And what God does is forces us to grow so that we understand the importance of remembering what happens when our minds get a hold of what we used to be. But now that I'm saved, I'm grateful to where I am now. There's a text, Matthew 10 and verse 39, that, that uh, kind of interests me. It interests me because of, of a hymnist who wrote this hymn, who was wrestling with whether or not I should be a full-time artist or I should be a full-time or be in full-time evangelistic ministry. And he kept 
praying about it, but he also kept being reverted back to the same passage, the same passage, talking about being regenerated to the same passage. And the same passage is Matthew 10, 39. Here's what it says. He that finds his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now, what does that mean by I'm regenerated? Because this hymn writer helped us understand that when you get regenerated by God and when you entrust your life unto God, you fall under the auspices of his hymn. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I fully give. I will ever Love and trust him in his presence daily live. My God, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed. See, y'all don't shout on that. You understand what he's saying? When I realize who saved my soul and how he's changed my life, I surrender all. All right, maybe y'all shout on this last one. I don't know. I'm glad I'm saved because I'm a representative of God. I'm glad I'm saved because God has regenerated me. But then I'm glad I'm saved because I'm a recipient of God's gift. See, look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, the Greek word kiros, it means the recipient of unearned favor. See, there should have been a shout right there. I tell you what to do. When you think about unearned favor, think about all the favor you've gotten and then ask yourself, did I earn any of it? unearned favor and Paul writes from his own personal experience realizing I was on my way to persecute the church in fact I was on my way to not only put some Christians on trial but to bring them to death until in Acts 9 Acts 8 and 9 God found me on the Damascus road knocked me off of the horse to which I was riding and asked a simple question Saul why are you persecuting me and as a result of that Paul's life changed from that day forward. He spends the next three years in Arabia. Read Galatians chapter 1, 2, and 3. And when he's doing that, he is being introduced to the fullness of who Jesus Christ is as God is regenerating his life. In fact, in Galatians, Paul says, I didn't get this gospel from anybody else. I got it from direct revelation of God. In other words, Paul was really trying to tell us translation in 21st century, you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. I'm not trying to live off of your story, says Paul. I got my own story. And I just want to know, is there anybody here today who got your own story? You can testify about how good God has been in your life and how much favor you've gotten. And if we were granted favor based on our sin. So in other words, Paul says, if God held us accountable for everything that we had done, what if God decided for every 
sin offense you've committed against me, I'm going to hold you in judgment now. Shh, shh, don't say nothing. Shh, 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 shh. That's how this sanctuary would be this morning. Utter silence. Wonder why? Would nobody be here? How do you know that, Reverend? Romans 3, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Just in case, I know nobody is brave enough to do this in here, but just in case somebody want to suggest you don't fit that bill, go to Romans 6.23. For we've all fallen short of the glory of God and there are none righteous, no, not one. I just thought I'd remind you of that so you'd all know we're all under condemnation. But grace, this unmerited favor who didn't make me pay for everything I've done wrong, grace, this unmerited favor Favor redeemed my soul. Then peace. Peace comes from both the Hebrew, which the Greek borrows, shalom. But it's a peace that's nothing like you probably think in the natural mind. Isaiah says it's peace that surpasses all understanding. Paul borrows it and puts it in Philippians. And he talks about letting the peace of God through Jesus Christ reign in your mind. It's a peace that I receive that you can't put a price on it. You can never put a price tag on the peace that God gives. In fact, it's almost difficult to describe and explain. The best way I think I can do it is to borrow from Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a Christian of the late 1800s who, who was a successful man in real estate, successful individual in his business ventures, but his success was wiped out by the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871. He then experienced the loss, the death of his son, and felt like he needed to get away. In getting away, he wanted to also be involved in the D.L. Moody ministries and so he decided to go to Europe where D.L. Moody was ministering and he took his family, he wanted to take his family along with him but just as they were about to aboard the ship, something occurred a business venture and he had to stay behind so he sends his wife and his four daughters ahead of him this is in beginning of November, by late November, as they are going over, he gets a telegram to remind, to tell him rather, that the ship that his wife and his daughters were on was hit by another ship and it sunk in less than 12 minutes. Sitting in despair and sorrow, he got another telegram from his wife that said, save alone. He boarded a ship, went to Europe to meet his wife, found out that his four daughters, of course, had deceased, and asked his wife, take me, take me where they are buried in the sea. He gets 
boat and they go out to where they're buried. While he's sitting there, I'm done, he begins to hear as he proclaims the Spirit of God giving him this song in reference to peace. You know what it says? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Have you ever had a moment in which that tragedy and that disappointment struck and all you could do was rear back on your body and sit in a motionless position and look under heaven and say, God, I don't understand. Don't agree. And it's too hard for me to even try to attempt in my mind to figure you out. I'm just going to do like Horatio Spatford says, whatever the lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Talking about peace. But that ain't the shouting point. This is why I love the hymns because the next line that he gives is totally built on theology. It's built on the redemption of Jesus Christ. This is what he says. Though Satan should buffet, thou trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regard for my helpless state and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. And if that wasn't enough, he comes with another line that undergirds his theological conviction. Oh, my sin. The bliss of this glorious thou, my sin, not in part but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. See, you can't shout on that. But then, he really had peace because he was looking for the second coming of Christ. Listen to what he says. In Lord... Haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, he was knowing, he knew, not the same verbiage, but the same spirit, he knew there's gonna come a day when he's gonna shout, I made it out. I made it out all right. But in the meantime, we can shout, I'm so glad. So glad that I'm saved. And no matter what happens, as much as it will break my heart, it's well with Because that's the gift that God gives me as a recipient of his grace and of his peace.
Teach us, Lord, to listen to the word of God in its power and in its substance. Lead us that we might discover the glory 